watching this podcast online, or you are listening on SoundCloud.com or SportsGrumble.com, Grant Dopel, guy we call Taco Love, Matt Crawford, and Matt Banks joining you tonight to talk about the college football playoffs. We're going to discuss the semifinal games briefly and then take a look at our preview for the national championship without our beloved Matt Chin, but in his place, Crawford has brought a uh, nice drink. Show us your drink that replaces Matt Chin tonight, Crawford. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Matt Chin, blue as always. Thanks, Colleen. Yeah. All righty. So let's go ahead and talk about the first game in the semifinals, and that would be Florida State and Oregon, uh, a game that I think many of us had Oregon winning, but maybe not by 39 points. Uh, and as um, Urban Meyer said, or alluded to, that's uh, quite surprising, especially in in the game that was featuring two of the supposed best teams in, in college football. And Crawford, going to you, were you surprised at how overmatched Florida State really looked in this game? Uh, I, I was surprised by how it turned out a little bit. Um, if we went back to the podcast when we previewed these semifinal games, we saw that, uh, or we went over the fact that we thought Oregon was going to win. Oregon had the chance to run away with it as long as Florida State didn't start slow and commit a lot of turnovers because Oregon has a way of kind of putting an avalanche on if you, if you give them the opportunity to. That being said, you had a, a former Heisman winning quarterback in Jameis Winston and a team that was on a 29-game winning streak. So I didn't. Th- I thought that was a bit of an outside chance of happening, but lo and behold, they turned the ball over four or five times, and Oregon really ends up putting it on them um, in kind of the way that we described as the worst-case scenario. So it, it came to pass. Um, I'm a little surprised. I didn't expect it to happen, but I was. Um, it was in the realm of possibility, and it happened, and it was awesome. <laughs> Indeed it was, and, and for many of us who are not a, a Florida State fans, it was even more sweet. Uh, looking at these two, and, and Taco, I'll bring you in on this discussion, looking at the two Heisman quarterbacks, Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston, and Taco, I know you, you have your um, NFL mock draft coming out here soon on sportsgrumble.com. I did an article a couple days ago on, on comparing the two and who is the better prospect right now on the field. And, uh, you know, that it does take into consideration some of the off-field issues, but better physical prospect for the NFL right now. Who do you have between the two of those as being the better prospect in the NFL, and where do you have them landing? Well, right now, uh, this is one year that I don't think there's an elite quarterback out there. Um, everybody has issues, and I think it's really going to hurt that, uh, that, that there's not that elite quarterback Teams are still going to draft the quarterbacks high like they always do. We, you know, you could see as many as three, maybe four quarterbacks taken in the first round. You know, the only time we haven't seen something like that was back when EJ Manuel was taken in the first round. That was it. So, um, Mariota looked good during the game. He did miss some, you know, open field passes. His accuracy is an issue. Um, he was hitting some of his receivers high and wide. Receivers were still getting able to get it sometimes. But uh, one thing is his accuracy, which is a question mark. Um, Winston, on the other hand, he made the NFL throws. Uh, that, that, that was the one thing. Mariota looked great. I mean, if you just look at just, you know, watching the game and that's it, Mariota outplayed Winston. However, Winston hit the more NFL-type throws. Um, yeah, he was running for his life most of the night. I mean, of course, the highlight, you know, of Winston was him, you know, nearly doing a backflip and throwing the ball backwards. 
But, uh, but, uh, okay, sorry. So, but, uh, <laughs> so, so what we've come to conclude is that you and your dogs hate Jameis Winston, is that correct? Right. Uh, I think, I, like I said, right now I have Mariota going first to Tampa Bay. Uh, go ahead. So, Not Tampa Bay, the dog disagrees. Yeah, no, no, he, he, he seriously thinks Winston. Now, I actually have Winston going to the Jets, but there have been reports that Winston, obviously he was more worried about baseball when it came to it, but I think there's the possibility that Winston could stay. I honestly don't see why. He'd be the number two quarterback taken. If he stays behind, yeah, you know, he might stick around, but he's been having a lot of problems staying with Florida State. There have been a lot of problems with him off-field, and I think it'd probably be best for him, honestly, to leave Florida State. Um, honestly, it's not going to get much better if he goes to you know the Jets. You know New York's going to eat him alive like they do with every single quarterback. But I think it'd probably be in his best interest to leave now while he can before it gets a lot worse for him. So I mean, there was a quarterback by the name of Matt Barkley who had a great you know junior year and then came back, decided he wanted to stick around because he wanted to get a little bit better of a spot and dropped all the way to what I believe that was the uh, fourth round. I believe he dropped to so. Yeah, you know, sticking behind, you know, can help you, and it can also really, really hurt you. Um, I think I think Winston needs to get out now, and Carter agrees. <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, Banks, keeping on that same topic, in my article, I actually threw out the idea. Now that Chip Kelly has all the control possible in Philadelphia, you know, what if he pulls a Hugh Jackson in in Oakland and trades all those picks to get a quarterback? Um, First question, do you see a scenario in which Chip Kelly trades up for Marcus Mariota, who thrives in Chip Kelly's type of system? Uh, I, I would say it would probably be doubtful, but, you know, I don't think you can rule anything out as far as that goes. But, you know, we've had this discussion before. Um, you know, I, I think if anybody knows... Marcus Mariota, it's Chip Kelly and what he's capable of. And as we lost kind of plug and play when you get to the quarterback with Chip Kelly, Nick Foles, you know, Mark Sanchez, for God's sake, like, you know, you can put any guy in there and if you you have him throw a four-yard screen passes and let Jeremy Macklin take it to the house, I mean, your, your numbers look pretty good at the end of the day. So, you know, I think him getting his guy is not out of the question. I don't think it's likely, though. And Crawford, real quick before we uh, get back to just the college discussion, keeping with these two quarterbacks, if the Philadelphia Eagles don't trade up, I had Winston being in the best situation to succeed in Tampa Bay. Uh, not because they have a good team, but I felt as though they had enough weapons on offense to keep him happy. And they had a coach in Lovey Smith who could keep him grounded. Uh, do you think that Tampa Bay would be a good spot for Winston? And if not, where would you see Winston landing. Uh, Tampa sounds about the fairest early round or early first round destination, I would say. I mean, you have Doug Martin, you have Mike Evans, who will hopefully, uh, he did a little bit of merging this season, hopefully he continues to grow. Um, is Vincent Jackson still there? I'm not exactly sure of the NFL yes. roster. Yeah. So another another proven wide receiver. Um, the only thing, yeah, I, the only thing that could possibly stop Winston, who has all the physical tools, 
um, is kind of the Johnny Manziel syndrome. He is definitely a knucklehead, and um, he proved that time and time again over the last two years. He obviously hasn't learned from some of his mis- his biggest mistake, mostly, um, and has kind of become a punchline over the last two years. And I agree with Taco. He should go now because um, last year they were saying if he could have went la- if he could have went last year, he would have been the first quarterback off the board. Now he's easily probably. He's probably likely the number two, um, and I, I think he can only the longer he stays in that toxic and, and uh, enabling environment like college, uh, I can only see that trajectory going downward as he gets more opportunities to act like an idiot. So, <laughs> and Taco, did you have a uh, another point to make, or did yeah. Carter? Uh, yeah. No, no, it was definitely me, not Carter. Uh, I think the biggest point, one of the quarterbacks that nobody's talking about, is uh, Brett Hundley. Um, I believe out of out of the three quarterbacks, I think he has the highest ceiling. Uh, he may not be as ready, you know, NFL ready now, but I think maybe if you put him somewhere like in Philadelphia or St. Louis, where you have a quarterback that you know still needs to prove himself, maybe you know put him in there so he can sit around for a year, develop a little bit. I think Hunley definitely could do a lot more, you know, than both Winston and Mariota. Like I like Mariota a lot. I think Winston's the most NFL-ready quarterback right now, but I think Hundley has the highest ceiling. And looking at the other semifinal game, the Ohio State Buckeyes shocking very many, um, except for our Matt Banks, who stood behind him all the way, shocking many and winning 42-35 <laughs> over the Alabama Nick Sabans. And uh, looking at this game, and Crawford, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, a lot of areas to be impressed with here, from the poise of Cardell Jones to the running game of Ezekiel Elliott to the play of the secondary for Ohio State. If you had to pick one area that impressed you the most with Urban Meyer's team in this victory, where would you put that? Uh, you got to go with the running game in this one. Ezekiel Elliott, first running back, I believe, to run for over 200 yards against an Alabama defense since 2003 or 2004. I know the relevant person in that stat is Cadillac Williams, if you remember him. So, yep. I mean, it, it's going pretty far back. Yeah, so he uh, well, the, the, over 200 yards. Um, only did it on 20 carries. Uh, so I mean, you got to give the assist to the offensive line as well. But uh, Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, he's he's definitely emerged as probably one of the best backs in college football. I would have to say, um, the line the line the line gave him the space, but he had the patience to take it because a lot of his biggest runs. Um, definitely wasn't just straight up the gut. Um, he had to, he had to kind of choose and pick his hole to go through. So um, it, it took a lot of uh, a lot of vision and patience on his part. And uh, it's it's a very mature running back that you kind of just see unfold in front of your eyes, just kind of like this whole entire Ohio State offense. Keep in mind, this was the team that went six and six or or lost to six and six Virginia Tech, um, second game of the season. And uh, I, I just can't – I kind of laugh when you think about it, uh, just the coaching job done by Urban Meyer uh, this year. I would, you could have never believed with a third-string quarterback that this was something that would be accomplished. Banks, I see your smile over there. We'll, uh, we'll let that one slide by. But uh, talking about Urban Meyer's coaching job this season, Banks, uh, I put an article up on sportsgrumble.com and uh, riverfrontcitysports.com calling it one of the best – single-season coaching performances by a coach in college football history. Would you agree with that, or would you disagree?
Well, I'd say if it's not if it's one, I guess it's up there. You got two two of the most storied you know college football programs and two of the most storied coaches um, ever. And you know I, I think Meyer really proved why he's the top guy. Um, it, it just looked like he had his guys prepared, and you know kind of like I said going in, I, I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was, uh, but I really believed that he would have them prepared and. You know, people always talk about um, Nick Saban. Oh, if you get if you give Saban this extra time, he's really gonna it's really gonna put it on you. Well, he got it put on them, and you know, I I just think he was. Uh, I just really think that um, Meyer really had him ready to play. I, I I can't really tell you what it was, but it just looked like their guys were ready to just smack him in the mouth, and, and they they did so obviously. And for the second straight game in a row, actually probably, well, the, technically the third straight game in a row, the Ohio State Buckeyes are underdogs. It, it's a role that they've relished in this season. And, and Taco, taking it over to you, do you think that the fact that Ohio State is perceived as an underdog against Oregon, does that make Ohio State even more dangerous for the Ducks? I believe it really does. Uh, you know, anybody outside of Ohio – would have said that Ohio State doesn't have a chance against Wisconsin. Everybody outside of Ohio State, Ohio, said that we didn't have a chance against Alabama. Uh, they've been relishing in this kind of situation. Uh, Cardell Jones has looked, you know, impressive. Uh, one of the better, you know, third-string quarterbacks. We've seen even better than you know fourth-string quarterbacks in the NFL. But uh, it's it's definitely showing to him how well he's led this team. Obviously, that rushing attack with Ezekiel Elliott, you know, definitely helped out as well. Uh, their defense is one of the top defenses in the nation, you know, next to almost none. They, they've just been looking great, and they need to continue on this high to match up against Oregon. Uh, Oregon's defense is vulnerable, but it's their offense that wins them the games. You've got to slow down that offense to have any chance in this national championship game. And before really previewing that national championship game, Crawford – we were just talking about um, Taco brought up Cardell Jones and the quarterback position. Next year you've got Braxton Miller, you've got J.T. Barrett, you've got Cardell Jones. Um, rumors have gone back and forth that maybe Braxton Miller was talking to Florida State about taking over if Jameis Winston leaves. What do you see culminating with this incredibly talented and deep quarterback position at Ohio State next year? <laughs> It's hard to tell, honestly. I we'll see what rumors become substantiated as the season's over. But it's it's definitely looking like each of those quarterbacks could possibly have a role in that offense, and there's just not going to be enough to go around to keep everybody happy. Obviously, um, I I'd like to say that I don't think Braxton Miller is kind of the one to go. He seems like he's probably the most invested. Him and Cardale Jones, I. JT Barrett, it depends on what their plans are for him in the future, but um, he does look like the heir apparent, but he's also kind of the out-of-stater. So we'll see uh, we'll see how this all affects everybody's decisions. But, I mean, Braxton Miller has been a true Buckeye through and through. I, if it happens, I, I obviously don't blame him, but at the same time, I mean, it, it might be in his best interest. It just depends on, I don't know. I, Urban Meyer is going to have to make a decision and, have a sit-down with all these guys so they can make the best plans for their futures. Crawford, if you had to pick one to be your starting quarterback next season for the Buckeyes, if you're Urban Meyer, who would you pick? 
Oh. Believe it or not, I actually, seeing this run, I, I think Cardale Jones might be the best fit if he gets more seasoning. I, the more and more I watch him play, the more I can't help but think he kind of fills the Tim Tebow role, kind of, in the Urban Meyer offense. He, uh, he's kind of the rhinoceros in that group. He has a big arm. Um, better looking throwing, honestly, but he's, he's kind of that sledgehammer, and uh, I think that's kind of what you want in an Urban Meyer offense where the quarterback's going to run. You kind of want that, that better durability. JT Barrett also has pretty good durability. Honestly, I think uh, Rexon Miller's probably my least favorite out of those just because with the amount of running he ends up doing, he likes to kind of ad-lib and scramble and put himself into precarious positions in running that offense. He's a, he's a playmaker, but he subjects himself to hits. Um, so as far as that's concerned, I, I don't like, I like his role in the offense the least. Um, Cardell Jones, at least, I mean, he has the arm obviously to make all the throws that you could possibly want. Um, as long as he comes along development, developing in the mental side of the game. Uh, I like him as far as being able to withstand the punishment that comes from running the, the Urban Meyer offense from the quarterback perspective. Looking at next Monday's national championship and, and, Taco, we'll start with you before throwing it over to Banks. Uh, give me your prediction and why. 38-24, Oregon. Oregon's offense is just too high-powered. I, I think, you know, it's just one of the same. Mariota is going to cement himself the first overall pick. Cardell Jones is going to look decent, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to be tough, I, I, but I, yeah, I'm going to stick with that. 38-24, Oregon. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to go something similar. I'm going to go 38-28, Oregon. Uh, I just think that you know, with everything that went in the BAM State, you know, into that not necessarily a quick turnaround, but a turnaround. You know, to a different style of team, I think Oregon is just going to prove to be a little bit too much for him. And yes, to answer your question you just sent us, Taco, we are going off the prices right rules. All right, so, make it. There you go. Just don't go over. Um, and Crawford, let's dive into this a little bit with you. Um, before giving me your prediction, how can Ohio State's defense and how must they go about? playing Mariota in this offense in order to stop such a high-powered attack? Well, with the Oregon offense, the, the, the always the biggest key with a spread offense is having your defense ready to tackle in space. Uh, you're not you're going to get a lot of one-on-one -on -one tackling opportunities. It's going to be hard to swarm to the ball and have three or four guys swarm a, a ball carrier. Um, so you're, you're going to want to go over that wrap-up technique. You're going to want um, if, if Mariota does a quick screen out to one of his wide receivers or you know gets a running back screen out in space, that first person who gets to him has to bring that person down. And uh, obviously the, the name of the game is third downs, and the longer you keep those third downs, the better. Um, but it's, it's an Oregon offense that either it makes explosive plays, and it's also a very good offense. Even though it runs quickly, it at least stays on schedule. Um, it's hard to keep them to third and five or third and longer than that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the first person who gets to the ball has to make the tackle. And looking at the game, Crawford, and, you know, you, you talked a little bit about what the defense has to do. What does the offense have to do besides just – or let me rephrase that. What does the offense have to do in order to keep pace with Mariota's offense? 
Um, I honestly, yeah, it'll be about keeping track with the the Oregon offense, and hopefully, uh, the defense can make a, a stop or two, or at least hold to some field goals or or something like that. But um, as far as on paper, Ohio State offense versus the Oregon defense, um, you you've seen the the offensive line and and running game bully the Alabama running defense, which was what first or second in the nation, and in, of course, the vaunted SEC West. So, um, so I, I mean, I definitely like that matchup on paper. I think Ohio State definitely has the opportunity to control the ball and keep it out of Mariota's hands. Uh, I think that's why, and especially with Cardale Jones, he's somebody who can um, get behind the tackles and also bully, uh, bully around that defense a little bit. Oregon tends to run a little undersized on defense. So uh, I think Ohio State in some aspects can overpower them a little bit as far as um, just pushing the ball and playing ball control, even though that's not necessarily Urban Meyer's offensive style usually. But I think they can also take their shots deep too with Cardale Jones's arm. Um, that being said, I guess my score, my prediction would be, that's why it's going to be a little bit on the lower side. I, I, I see it somewhere 35-28 maybe in favor of, I'm leaning more Oregon. And lastly, before we round out this broadcast, uh, Banks, since you look like you're falling asleep, we'll go to you first. Uh, overall, the the inaugural season of the college football playoffs, success or not? Oh, success. I think, you know, I had a small little hiccup there toward the end of the season as far as ranking. Uh, but I think at the end we, we got what we wanted and, you know, everybody was gathered around ready to watch those games last week, and on Monday they'll be ready to watch the national championship game. Taco? I think it made, I mean, obviously all the bowls are as important as you make it, but I think it made those two bowl games even more important. And, of course, you know, that brings in revenue, which makes people happy. More revenue means more playoffs. So I expect it to expand to eight teams by 2017. And Crawford. Uh, I think the committee got it right. Yeah, you don't like that last, uh, what was it, last voting or whatever that put TCU 3, but at the end of the day, the BCS would have had Florida State playing Alabama for the national titles, and what did we get for this national championship game? The exact opposite. So I think it did its job. Um, I also think it's doing a good job. I got everything I wanted this bowl season. I think what the college football playoff promotes, and hopefully you see going forward, especially when it comes to the Southeastern Conference, I think you see a lot more quality out-of-conference scheduling because the way this bowl season has played out, what you've seen, is, especially in the Southeastern Conference, is that you see a lot of more insular scheduling. You get, a lot of the, you get a lot of the awful cupcake games that the SEC played, and now that hopefully this bowl season proves that just going off of strength of schedule within your conference and letting that kind of scheduling just lets you feed off of the conference slate that you play and nothing else, um, I hopefully you see a little bit of devaluation and quote-unquote conference strength. Thanks for the quotes. Yep. <laughs> well, that'll do it for our college football podcast as we preview the national championship that will be happening one week from today, assuming the big snow up here in Ohio doesn't kill everybody tonight. Uh, on behalf of the Mats and Taco, I want to thank you for joining us. And on behalf of Matt Chen, we hope he's alive and not blue anymore if Crawford keeps him alive over there. 
But thanks for checking us out today, and make sure you listen to the rest of our podcast on sportsgrumble.com, clicking the podcast link at the top, or if you have SoundCloud or the SoundCloud app, just simply search Sports Grumble. Also on YouTube, just search Sports Grumble. Matt, Matt, Taco, thanks for joining me, guys, and everybody listening, thanks for listening.